Welcome to Well Wisdom, where we visit with guests and explore topics that help you overcome life's inevitable adversities, both big and small, to find meaning, purpose, joy, happiness, connection, confidence, and strength. This is the essence of resiliency, the ordinary magic that we are all capable of. Welcome to this episode of Well Wisdom. I'm so excited to have Brian Lowell French with us here today. He is just an amazing leadership expert and talent development expert, and he is an author, a musician, uh, Qigong. Am I saying that right, Brian? Help you me are out. Qigong, yeah. Qigong um, instructor, and he is the founder and principal of Harmonic Learning, which is a firm dedicated to helping leaders and teams with their development. He's um, a creator of leadership and many other um, leadership development experiences. So through Harmonic Leadership, he has mindfulness-based exercises that he takes leaders and teams through. And he just recently became an author publishing a book called Harmonic Leadership. Um, and I'd love for you to just kind of tell us a little bit about that book as we get started, Brian. Yeah, I would love to. It's, uh, you know, it's my life's work. <laughs> it's my magnum opus that I, I put into 350 pages. So I can, I had to condense it. It, it actually was bigger than that, uh, but I condensed it down to 350 pages. Uh, and it's just, you know, I, for years I've been telling myself I should probably put everything into a book form because I had all this miscellaneous content that I'd put together through the years for, for clients. And uh, finally, a few years ago, I thought, okay, I, I have to start. And I had no idea it would take so long to actually piece together into a true book form. Uh, but many years later, uh, finally last fall, it's like, uh, I, had to, I had to force myself to say, it's done, <laughs> publish it, it's done. So I, I did some final cleanup on it, uh, some editing on it and went ahead and published it. Uh, and I didn't realize how long it took to actually publish it once you submit the manuscript. So it took months after that. So it finally was officially released uh, just in, in fully in March. Well, congratulations. That's a huge Thank accomplishment. Um, and I would just ask, who do you see as the primary audience for this book? Like, how can this help maybe some of our listeners? And who do you see as the audience? Yeah, uh, thank you for the question, Beth. Uh, and it's a bit it's a bit difficult to answer because you know, the, the way I wrote the book, uh, it's really intended for everyone. Uh, yes, it has a leadership title. It is focused on the workplace, but through the years, I've definitely learned, as I'm sure you've learned working with your clients, uh, everything that we learn within the workplace, we can use in our personal life as well. And especially when we're getting into the realm of, of mindfulness and self-reflection and how to get along better with others, which is a key theme of the book. Uh, so just understanding ourselves so we can work better and live better together with others in a more positive way. So um, in, in some of the marketing and in the preface of the book, I say it's for uh, for anyone who wants to, to be a better person, basically, be a better uh, uh, leader, be a better, um, a friend, be a better uh, partner, spouse, be a better um, uh, teacher, be a better parent. Um, so it's basically for, for everyone. Uh, the, the skills, um, and the other thing I try to do with the book is make sure that it's, it's relevant for anyone, regardless of level of experience and knowledge. Um, 
through the years in, in leadership, you, as you know, you often have like the new leader program, then you have the mid leader program, then the senior leader program. But the core skills of leadership are the same across the board, regardless of level in an organization, regardless of experience and, and, and skill and knowledge level. So I carefully designed the book to where anyone who picks it up hopefully will walk away with, with some new knowledge, with some new skills, with some new self-understanding that will make them not only a better leader, but a better person, a better friend, a better spouse, a better partner, uh, a better well teacher, said. better better parent as well. <laughs> yeah, and I could not agree with you more, Brian, because really at the end of the day, we're human, whether we're mm -hmm. at work or we're you know at home with our family and our friends. Um, and so that human element permeates even, no matter the setting that we're in, and I think, we're leaders in everything we do, whether there's a title behind our name or not. So it exactly. makes perfect sense that this book would be applicable to anyone at any stage in their life and really in different contexts. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And I'm so excited to talk about mindfulness today. Um, and you know, it's a rich, deep topic, so we can take it in whichever direction uh, the moment brings us okay. in a mindful way. Um, but I am curious, what about mindfulness is important to you? Oh, gosh, that's a, a big question. <laughs> it could be a long answer, but I'll, I'll try to be succinct. Uh, you know, mindfulness, it, mindfulness is permeate, permeated throughout the book as well. Uh, the, the subtitle of the book is uh, leading with inclusive, mindful caring. Uh, so not only being inclusive in our leadership, but being mindful in the way that we lead, ultimately through the path of caring. Um, so I'll, I'll weave some of that uh, language into our conversation today. But but personally, um, mindfulness, you know, I've been practicing mindfulness since I was a young kid. I just didn't know it was called mindfulness. Uh, I've always been a very co uh, contemplative type of person. Um, but the, the the short answer in, in why it's important to me is that uh, it makes me a better person and it helps me to better serve those who I serve, both in in the personal and professional areas of life. Um, you know, I, I have a very personal reason. I frankly hesitate sharing this, but I think in, in terms of what you're looking for in the podcast, it may help people to, to know. Uh, I suffer from a number of chronic pain issues uh, with uh, complex hemiplegic migraines being the most prominent. So I always have a headache, just uh, every day, all day long, I always have a headache. And it varies in terms of intensity. Um, and I've had this headache for most of my life, uh, especially my adult life. Uh, looking back in my growing up years, I think I had chronic migraine then as well. I just didn't, we, we didn't talk about it. it. We just, you know, it just dealt with it. And throughout most of my life, I just dealt with it. Um, I also have a lot of food allergies and sensitivities. It creates a lot of swelling uh, and, and inflammation in the body. So I just have general aches and pains. Um, and I also have a low tolerance to medication because I've, you know, I've gone to, to doctors for years and they've tried to, to fix me. Uh, but uh, medication actually gives me the shakes and anxiety after a few days. So very low tolerance to uh, medication. So basically I got to the point where I, I couldn't take medication. I was just suffering from pain um, all the time. Uh, and I had heard about mindfulness-based stress reduction and, and the medical benefits of that through the years. And yeah, I, I had I had what I would call a mild mindfulness practice at that point, and I didn't feel a strong benefit from it. Uh, but when I uh, decided to go ahead and get certified as a mindfulness teacher, um, I, I did a very deep dive uh, in, in the course of that year into my own personal practice. 
And that's when I learned that, by golly, this can help to manage this pain that I'm dealing with. It can help me to isolate the migraine pain. It can help me to moderate uh, the pain that I have within the body. Uh, so I take no medications. Um, I just manage all of these conditions with mindfulness practice and uh, Qigong exercises. And uh, I've decided to get certified as a Qigong instructor uh, so I could help others as well in that. And Qigong is just it's ancient Chinese exercises, basically. Qi is like life energy and gong is a practice or an exercise. So Qigong is the practice or exercise of of cultivating energy in in a positive way so uh, as i said i've been practicing mindfulness in various forms but uh, when i decided to get certified that's when i really doubled down on the pure uh, aspects of mindfulness and 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 the benefits involved um so uh yeah that's 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 how i came to it that's awesome and um I'll, a few, so many things you said resonate with me, and I want to share a few thoughts. Qigong, I was exposed to a little bit of that when I was going through my mindfulness certification, and and I'm so interested in learning more as soon as as soon as I have time to do that. But it's the most relaxing um, exercise. It's just amazing for any of our listeners who may be wanting to explore something a little different than yoga. Or even if they find it um, difficult just to sit and do mindfulness as a breath yeah. exercise, it's a wonderful option um, to explore. And, and building on that, I would also like to say, in my mind, um, there are times when I think of mindfulness as being almost magical because it mm. can do so many different things. And, um, and I love learning and reading. And I would say over the yeah. last two years, I've probably read more academic research articles on mindfulness than anything else. So even though I'm saying it's magical, I want our listeners to know it's so scientifically based. And so there's a wealth of neuroscience around it. Um, and as Brian said, it has been used for pain relief. And that's what John Kabat-Zinn originally started doing it with and, and mindfulness-based stress reduction that's came right. out of it. But the other thing that I just wanna share quickly with our listeners is that sometimes if you hear tons about mindfulness and you're thinking, oh, nothing can do this and that and the other thing. One of the most impressive things to me was the understanding that mindfulness fundamentally is four things. It can be a state effect, meaning in the moment we feel a certain way, and then a trade effect because science shows us that the people who practice mindfulness regularly actually change the gray and white matter in their brain. But the other thing is it's a practice. So yoga could be, a you know, it could be movement like Qigong or yoga, mm -hmm. or it could be a breath exercise, or it could just be using all of our senses to pay attention when we make coffee, for example. Right. Um, but the other thing is it's an intervention. And that's why sometimes it seems like snake oil, because it can be used to intervene in so many different ways. And it's in its Eastern origins, it was really for a religious purpose, for that transcendence and um, just kind of, you know, gaining knowledge and wisdom beyond what was apparent, but it can be used for, um, for pain relief. And I'm in, you know, work a lot with healthcare organizations. There are many studies uh, that have been done with mindfulness and maybe uh, breast cancer patients or yeah. different patients. So there's, I, I just want to say that because I love that you brought that up, Brian, but I hope our listeners can understand, you know, it, it can help us with our psychological issues like depression and anxiety, but then physical things as well. And even just cog cognition and mental mm -hmm. sharpness, decision-making so many things. So 
Um, I love that you opened that up and, I, and I'm glad that I had uh, a little bit of time to share that because you and I share a lot of passions around resiliency <laughs> <laughs> and mindfulness. Um, so anything else that you think our listeners really should know about a mindfulness practice? Uh, well, yeah, you know, to, to your great points, uh, it, it can benefit everyone and it's helpful and it's easy and it's accessible. And you're probably already doing some things that qualify as mindfulness practice. So you mentioned making coffee. I, 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 I'm a coffee purist. I roast my own beans, uh, uh, I grind it at the moment uh, with, a, with a hand grinder and I do a pour over. And, and that is one of my mindfulness practices. It takes, uh, the whole process takes about 15 minutes in the morning and I love it. It's a great way for me to start my day. And as I do the pour over, I'm concentrating on on how how the how the 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 grounds uh, rise up there. They actually breathe. And that's part of the process. And you can see some very unique colors uh, that come as the water hits the the, the grinds of the beans. Um, and it's a very, a very mindful practice. We 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 each are doing things through the day that uh, traditionally have been have been mo emotional regulators for us but we just haven't known to call it mindfulness and you know when you look at uh, mindfulness as a as a practice uh, there are two primary types there's focused attention meditation where you're focusing closely on something most common is the breath you mentioned our, our focus on the breath and doing breathing exercises oftentimes counting along with that and uh, uh, this, uh, this this same focused attention can be placed on other things petting your dog um, uh, steeping your tea, looking closely at a blade of grass or a tree in nature. Uh, if these things are done with this deep focused attention, it's a meditative practice. And, you know, the definition of, of meditation is just to focus intently for a period of time. And when we do that on anything, it is a mindfulness practice. And then the, uh, the other primary form of, of uh, mindfulness is open monitoring meditation, where we're sitting and fully experiencing all that is entering into our senses, uh, getting insight about the world through our five senses. And, um, and, and we're often doing this as well. And to your, to your point, you know, there are many different areas of mindfulness. There's religious base, as you mentioned. Uh, it does have a, a basis in, in, uh, in religion, um, but there's, there's also spiritual based. Uh, and a lot of people who enter into or hear the word mindfulness and they think it's like woo-woo and mystical, it's because of the spiritual practice. And people do use some of the techniques uh, to gain that. And if that's what you need, if that's what you're looking for, great, good for you. Uh, personally, I practice secular-based with the focus on science, and you mentioned all the neuroscience research. Um, all of the work that I do in working with others, most of my clients are organizations and, and, and workplaces, corporations, and it's all science-based. I'm, I'm purely looking at the science using the practices that that show benefit to our physical and mental states and relaying that into leadership and how we can work better together through these techniques and uh, i love that you brought in uh, john cabot's in and, and his great work and and when you when you look at the definitions of mindfulness there are many many out there the most famous of which is his original definition that he's added to tweaks a couple of times uh, i think the one he's using now is uh, mindfulness is awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment non-judgmentally and that non-judgmentally is a key uh, so for my book i created my own definition and that is mindfulness is curious awareness 
gentle acceptance and genuine appreciation of the present moment experience in life. And when we unpack these three elements, uh, we can can find many key concepts of mindfulness. Uh, the curious awareness is just mindfulness as being present in the moment. And if we approach each moment of our lives with this amazing curiosity, it just builds our awareness. Uh, the second part of gentle acceptance, it's um, uh, about being accepting of whatever is happening. Uh, that's speaking about the without judgment piece of John Kabat-Zinn's definition. And this is not just the good stuff that's happening, but the bad stuff that's happening uh, and, and accepting it with gentleness. And then the, the third part of my definition is genuine appreciation, uh, fostering feelings of gratitude for all that we have uh, with us and focusing on this daily. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's how I um, view uh, the accessibility of mindfulness, that uh, realize we're, we're, we're all doing certain things that are mindful activities. And if we do them more deeply, more intently, uh, then the benefit is even greater. Yeah, I love your definition, and I'm going to steal that, Brian. Oh, feel so, free. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you credit, but I, I think it's really point on, and I like each of the aspects um, that you bring up. Those curiosity, acceptance, and gratitude mm -hmm. are proven to really build resiliency. Exactly. And so um, I love that, and I think it speaks so strongly as to how mindfulness can help us really become stronger and move through tough times. And I also like how you talked about the gentle acceptance and being able to accept what is great, but also what's not so great. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, working a lot with resiliency and understanding it as a process, like the most important thing we need to do to really be resilient is to be able to, resilient is to be able to accept the things that are not so great. Right. And so um, I know I had mentioned earlier, I do a lot of work with healthcare organizations and especially with the pandemic, it's kind of almost like a badge of honor just to keep going and, and to not pause and to not um, acknowledge how hard everything has been over the last two and a you know, half years practically. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think mindfulness can really help in, in that because it allows us to be with things that are painful, but almost... Mm -hmm alongside it rather than so much in the middle of it with, with that meta-awareness um, and metacognition. So I think that's one of the greatest gifts and I love your definition because it speaks to that. But I would ask you, and you've talked about a lot of them already, um, but what would you describe as the absolute greatest gift uh, of mindfulness in, in your work? Oh, wow. <laughs> another, another big question. <laughs> um, you know, it, it can create centered balance. Uh, and I, I find myself using that term a lot, centered balance, and people look at me a little funny. Uh, but it, it, when you look at the science behind it, it's regulating our nervous system. Uh, and when we go through our lives in a frenetic pace too often, um, or, or a stressed uh, stage too often, um, you know, there, there's, there's two paths of our nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is like the gas pedal. It's the adrenaline. It's, it's, it's amping us up. Uh, it's, 
it's when cortisol is released, uh, the stress hormone cortisol is released. Um, and there's so much that are that is hitting us. And you mentioned the pandemic uh, through the pandemic and working with clients, uh, not only uh, uh, teaching classes, but also executive coaching and, and, and personal coaching through the pandemic. Uh, I find my found myself having this conversation with so many, you know, how can we regulate our nervous systems? Uh, because we're being pounded with with things that activate our sympathetic nervous system that that stress us out. Uh, all of the, the pings and dings and prompts we get on our many devices uh, that can amp up our our sympathetic nervous system and increase uh, cortisol, the stress hormone. Um, but then the other branch is the parasympathetic nervous system, and that's like the brake pedal. Uh, that's that's when serotonin is released uh, to, to calm us. It's when oxytocin is released, the hormone that creates connection with others. Um, and it, all good things, um, and and we have to find that balance. You know, if we're always in a very calm state of mind, which some people have kind of a misconception of mindfulness and, and mindfulness people saying that oh they're probably just calm all the time. It's like no, <laughs> but we need that calmness to regulate because uh, if we were too calm all the time, we wouldn't be able to do the work that we need to do. Uh, so I, I like to call it the mind, I have a bit in the book called the mindful performance curve. It's, it's based on the old Yerkes-Dotson uh, curve years ago, uh, where there's just the right amount of stress in order to perform to our optimum abilities. But we have to carefully manage that that level of stress and that level of stress is going to be different for different people based on our emotional makeup based on our genetic makeup it's going to be different and we can do that through the practice of mindfulness um, it creates it, it creates uh, there's a great term called equanimity and you alluded to it a moment ago when when you were speaking of how of how we can um, regulate uh, our, ourselves and 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 accept the things that are that are not so good in our lives uh, for those people who you work with who do have chronic conditions me and my chronic conditions um, having this sense of equanimity allows me to say this is a really bad day for my migraine i've got a lot of body aches i'm kind of humped over when i walk but you know what it's just a present moment experience it will pass it will get better and i can accept it and by accepting it now i will be able to better know when i'm feeling better so it's it's all creating that centered balance in our lives yeah, that's a great explanation, um, and I appreciate you making the the science so simple. And um, and I mean, it's it is complex because we've got the the hormones going on right, and the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. Um, and I think you're right; it is a misconception that people think, oh, they're you know they practice mindfulness, so they don't experience stress, and that's not really the case at all. <laughs> no. But, <laughs> What other misconceptions have you come across with your work with executives and organizations regarding mindfulness that you think might be helpful to talk about here? Yeah, another, another great question. So, you know, when I when I first engaged with uh, an organization who was thinking about bringing in mindfulness um, uh, sessions, um, the 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 first questions are, you know, what what is going to be the reaction? Uh, what is the appetite? What's going to be the reaction? Normally, the person who I'm having the conversation with is a mindfulness practitioner as well. Thus, the reason they want to bring them in. And normally, they're in HR, human resources, and or learning and development. Uh, so they know the benefits, and they're wanting to. Uh, 
share the benefits with the organization. Uh, but you know, uh, we we live we live in Dallas. We live in the middle part of the country, and unfortunately, when people hear the word mindfulness, those who have a very religious background, they think it has a negative connotation because they they align it purely with Buddhism, and um, and yes, it has it has uh, um, its its basis, its its history, its origin uh, story in Buddhism. But in the 1970s, when John Kabat-Zinn did his work and it was Westernized, um, the, the the science and the medical benefits were refined and and created what we now consider mindfulness uh, within within the Western civilization. Uh, so step number one is just making sure that they understand that that I'm not going to be pushing a religious uh, philosophy or a spirituality. It will purely be looking at the the scientific, uh, the medical benefits, the emotional benefits. Um, and it will be focused ultimately on how does this make us better at what we do, uh, ultimately in the workplace, but outside of work as well. It can help to, to, to make us more centered and balanced in all areas of our life, which only makes us better workers when we're at work. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's kind of interesting, Brian, because I first became aware of mindfulness probably 15 years ago, but it was through Ellen Langer, who's a Harvard mm -hmm. business professor. And so she is the most secular, I think. And she and John Kabat-Zinn were doing a lot of work at the same time, you know, westernizing it. But she point blank says, you don't need to meditate. Like she's more about that open awareness, integrated practices where you're just using all five of your senses. And her work is tightly connected to uh, mindful organizing in organizations and organizational mindfulness and high mm -hmm. reliability. So it's the most... Um, secular performance-based view of mindfulness, which is a different show because that's a deep topic too. But I think it's so important for people to realize, and that's why um, this idea that it's four things, understanding you know, what's the purpose or the intervention you're trying to achieve. And then the practice is almost like form following function based on where you're trying to go. And that there are uh, very, uh, I would say organizational corporate um, settings for mindfulness, it's definitely not just a Buddhist monk in a mountain um, right. meditating. And so I really appreciate you bringing that forward. Yeah. Um, would you have any tips or tricks if there's someone who would like to just get started on their mindfulness journey, maybe some simple ways for them to begin? Uh, yeah. Um... You know, obviously, obviously, there's tons of apps out there now. Uh, some of them are are great. Most of the, most of them are good. Some of them are great. Um, unfortunately, it's gotten really monetized now, so there's there's a, a glut of apps on the market. So I, I just say be discerning. Um, um, if you if you go with some of the big name brand ones first, you're going to be you're going to be safe, uh, and then you'll be able to start recognizing if something that is new or different is a little bit not to your not to your taste. Uh, and just trust trust your trust yourself. Uh, uh, but uh, that, that's probably the, the most accessible way to uh, start approaching mindfulness for those who haven't done a practice uh, before. Uh, of course, there's tons of amazing books out there, as you mentioned, so much, so much research. If you have a kind of a scientific bent, as, as Beth and I share, um, there's going to be some some great uh, folks to to reach out to um, uh, and, and read their read their books. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of there, there's there's three people who who when I first started doing the deep dive into mindfulness and really started looking at the research, uh, these three people, um, 
um, stuck out, stuck out to me as as having what I needed in terms of the information. The the, the first person's Dr. Richard Davison. Um, he runs the uh, Center for Healthy Minds Lab at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Um, he was uh, he did some of the early work with the functional MRI. Uh, you mentioned how 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 mindfulness practice actually changes the the look of our brain and and he's the one who found those markers of what's called neuroplasticity you know it was not that long ago 50 60 years ago um, the the psychological community generally agreed that once we had a certain age 25 to 30 our brain stopped changing we were we were fixed but that's not the case and it's uh, it's strange to think that that understanding has just changed in, in a relatively recent amount of time um, and uh, when uh, Richard Davidson started doing his work with the functional MRI he he could he could show that he could show how the hippocampus that takes our short-term memory turns into the long-term memory it actually strengthens uh, it, it, it grows and strengthens through mindfulness practice um, so he's he's a person to reach out to or I say reach out to to read his books uh, and to uh, look at his uh, Center for Healthy Minds um, uh, website and he does have an app uh, by the way as well uh, another uh, great resource is the Greater Good Science Center at uh, the University of California Berkeley uh, and uh, the, the second person who who I've really learned a lot from is Dr. Rick Hansen uh, he is a fellow there at the Greater Good Science Center and he does a just a lot of independent work he He's an author, uh, one of the one of the better known authors in the space. Uh, so his body of work has been an invaluable resource. Uh, and he and his son uh, Forrest have a, a great podcast. So if you're into podcasts, you're listening to this one. So you're probably seeking others. Uh, the Being Well podcast is a great resource as well. And they have a um, a number of guests on that are, are leaders in the field. Um, then a third uh, person is uh, Dr. Judson Brewer. Um, he runs the Mindfulness Center at Brown University, uh, and he um, his independent work is at drjud.com. Uh, and uh, he's done a lot of work in terms of, of addiction and how mindfulness practice can help to overcome addiction, not, not only to drugs, but to, to eating and also how to overcome anxiety uh, through mindfulness practice. And I've had the great fortune and honor to, um, to, to meet uh, these, these three people uh, through a group that I'm involved in uh, where uh, I've been in small group sessions with them, learning sessions with them, and where I've, I've had the chance to kind of sit at their feet and pick their brain brains and it's been it's been an honor uh, to, to to learn from them firsthand um, but um, a lot of my understanding of, of the science behind mindfulness has come from from three these, these these three people thank you so much for sharing those resources um, I think that's great and um, and I know altered traits is uh, one of the books that yeah. dr. Davison has done and many people may be surprised that Daniel Goleman who All we right. think of as associated with emotional intelligence has been a mindfulness practitioner and really collaborated on that, that work too. So very, yeah. uh, very powerful. So um, thank you. This has been so good as our time, I'm looking at the time and it's kind of winding up, but I just wanted before we close, Brian, uh, for you to let our listeners know how they can connect with you and how they can purchase your book if they're interested in doing that. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I've got uh, a few different websites out there. Uh, the the harmonicleadership.net is where you will find information on the book. And it links you to uh, the, the site where you can purchase it. And it's also available on all of the major retailers as well. 
Um, and then I've got uh, my own personal website of uh, brianlowellfrench.net. Yes, it's hard to spell. It's even hard to say, <laughs> but you can link to it from harmonicleadership.net. And then uh, my my uh, practice that I do for uh, for businesses and consulting and coaching work is harmonicleadership.net. Uh, so that's how they can uh, they can reach out to me. And there's forums. I would love to just engage with anyone who's who's interested in this. And I know that Brian is on LinkedIn too. So if yes. you're a LinkedIn user, I would encourage you to connect with him um, there. And thank you so much, Brian. This has just been lovely. And I, I, um, I'm I, dying to get together with you and have some coffee and learn right. more from you. You're just a wealth of um, information. I know this is just an area of great passion uh, for you. Thank so you so thank much, you. Beth. It's been great. And as we close, I'd just like to leave you and our listeners with a simple wish. May you be happy, may you be healthy, and may today be so good that tomorrow gets jealous. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. I hope you found today's well wisdom inspirational and empowering. Is there a golden nugget you can bring forward into your life and perhaps even share with a loved one, friend, or colleague. Here's to you and your amazing ability to be resilient, to create your very own ordinary magic. Until next time, well listeners, 